gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run Hey, this is Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures TV. We have had a great run showing our love for dogs with our show, our podcast, our social media, and all that is based on Soggy Acres Retrievers. We proudly bring this podcast to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers and ask you if you are looking for training, boarding, or a yellow, black, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppies, please check out SoggyAcres.com. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Welcome to Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Fuller. I am also the owner of Soggy Acres Retrievers and the host of Sporting Dog Adventures TV. We're going to cover, I guess, what could be considered a very sticky topic today, and that would be the acceptable coat colors of Labrador Retrievers. There are many designer coat colors coming out where people feel they're buying a purebred dog. And in essence, these coat colors are not recognized by the Labrador Retriever Club, so they are a disqualifying color. Now, does that mean that it's a bad dog? No, absolutely not. But there are many inherent issues that come with these designer coat colors that the breeders that are breeding them do not tell you, as well as a lack of quality genetics in those coat colors because people with good kennels that are breeding according to the Labrador Retriever Club will not allow their stud dogs and females to be used with dogs of these different disqualifying coat colors. We're then going to stick on the, I guess, topics of stickiness and talk about puppies and our dog training tip and talk about what you should have done with a puppy prior to a seven-week take-home. And lastly, we're going to talk about the concept of getting more people involved in our sport. Trying to, I guess, a call to arms of trying to get people to take new hunters out so that they can do different things in the field and get them into our sport so we stop contracting. So, first up, we are going to touch on Labrador Retriever coat colors. And in particular, the Silver Labs, Champagne Labs, Charcoal Labs, and why you should steer away from these coat colors if you are trying to buy a Labrador Retriever. I know this topic is controversial. I actually had a dust-up with several people about this topic back when we were filming our TV show wanting us to cover it. And it's something that I don't want to say that I walk the, the center line on it because I don't. When we are breeding dogs in our kennel, the uh, side gagers retrievers, we will not breed our stud dogs to females that are silver, charcoal, or champagne. We do also need the dogs, if we question uh, the origin of their lines, to have the dilute-free genetic test. And again, this is because we are breeding according to a breed standard. Why should you breed to breed standard? Well, breeds are set up for certain things. And when you are breeding for 
your breed standard, you are breeding for the classic Labrador Retriever. And that is what we breed for. Why are different colors allowed to be registered by the American Kennel Club? Straight up, the answer is money. And it's funny because I got into a debate with someone on a purebred Labrador Retriever site where they were hailing the AKC as being so wonderful because they had put out a statement that silver labs and other colored labs that were not yellow, chocolate, and black, you really should stay away from because it is a disqualifying trait. And they were saying how great it was for the AKC to put this out. Well, funny thing is the AKC ended up pulling that from their website due to pressure from those breeders. And the other thing is the AKC created this problem. When people had dogs that had the wrong coat colors, the AKC was just simply telling these breeders, just, you know what? Clarify that, that your dog is chocolate in color when the dogs weren't. So you have all these dilute colors that are being registered as chocolates when indeed that is not their coat color. So right there, the problem is created because the AKC wanted to keep these breeders in their net and get the payment for registering these litters when it could have been stopped at that point. Now, the UKC, in theory, has said that these dogs are not allowed to run at hunt tests. They're disqualified. I have heard that some hunt tests, HRC hunt tests, have allowed dogs of these disqualifying colors to run. I'm not sure on that. That's something I heard. But ultimately, it comes down to your registries that are going to have to make a decision. Is the sanctity or the, the breed itself more important than the almighty dollar. And if it is, then what they need to do is either tell these, is two things, tell the breeders they can no longer register these dogs and request a picture if they want to register a dog to come along with the dog's registration. The other thing that you would look at is they would need to maybe set up a separate breed. Maybe allow them to establish a different breed, showing their lineage back to a certain point where they can then have their own retriever breed. But ultimately, when you are looking for a puppy, I know everyone wants something different. When you look at Labrador Retrievers, chocolates can range from a dark chocolate to a lighter milk chocolate. Your yellows can range from a white all the way to a darkish rust colored, which is called fox red. And then your blacks are black. These are the acceptable, acceptable colorations of Labrador Retrievers. And why they are part of the Labrador Retriever Club is because these colors can be based all the way back to the founding of the actual Labrador Retriever breed. When you look at buying a dog with a designer color, you're also getting a lot of issues. They have follicular uh, alopecia, follicular dysplasia. Um, it's follicular dysplasia, not alopecia, my problem. Uh, but follicular dysplasia where these dogs have major coat issues. There are also other coat problems where the dogs are completely bald. There are other health issues that come up. And this is because you're breeding these finite lines into each other and there's not genetic variation. Why is there not genetic variation? Because when you are starting where most of these breeds do, which is at a chocolate uh, Labrador Retriever, that the Dilute was, I think, originally founded in, you're dealing with, one, 
a smaller gene pool to begin with because let chocolate labs historically have not been as wide, widely bred uh, because people looked at them as inferior. Now, that's my favorite color. And what I will tell you is that what we did with our kennel was over years, we bred yellows to our chocolates and had black puppies, blacks to our chocolates and had black puppies. And then we would breed back into different lines so that we had stronger lines. Genetics that didn't exist in chocolate retriever lines because of the fact that people only bred for color. My argument has always been, regardless of what color you're breeding for, if color is the only reason you breed and you're not looking at your pedigree and you're not looking at ability, you're going to end up with an inferior animal ultimately uh, in the long run. So we set up our lines where we bred different colors into our lines that gave us lines that were very unique comparatively to other kennels because we didn't just look at, wow, this is the hot stud dog I'm only going to breed to and just breed to that dog. When you look at these designer colors, if you have a kennel like myself or the other kennels that are that have well-known stud dogs, the minute that someone asks to breed for our dogs, we ask for multiple things. Uh, I will ask for a copy of the pedigree. I will ask for uh, the dog to be dilute free. I will ask for uh, a picture of the dog. And then I will talk to them about their dog. If they do have a dog that is a silver lab, champagne lab, or charcoal lab, I'm not rude about it because ultimately I try to educate people. I try to tell them why that dog isn't acceptable in the Labrador Retriever breed. And you can go to the LabradorRetrieverClub.com and look at their website. It will tell you what to be wary of and what is acceptable. And try to encourage the people to, I guess, do the right thing, which is if you're going to breed Labrador Retrievers, stick with that breed standard so that you are bettering the breed. I think too often people get caught up in making fun of people just because they own a dog of a certain color and our fight should not be there. Our fight should be trying to educate people that want to get into breeding or educate the registries on how they need to keep the breed intact and keep the breed strong and enforce our ire, if there's an ire or an anger, toward the registries and toward the breeders that are proliferating these dogs out there and not towards the owners. And when I got into it, oh gosh, it was probably five to seven years ago with someone, they were upset because someone had posted a photo of what was a silver lab. And my point to them was, you shouldn't be upset and make fun of the person that's proud of their dog. That is their dog. That was their dream is having a dog. Instead of trying to ostracize that person and cause them to not be part of having a dog and not be part of hunting with dogs, why don't we educate them and try to show them what they should choose the next time so that they are picking breed standard, but yet not do it in a way that is, I guess, so teenage-like that we're making them dislike everyone that's in the dog world so that they are then getting out of the dog world. We want to grow our sport of hunting with dogs in the field. We don't want to shrink it and have it have it contract. And it's a fine line to walk. Um, I try very hard to be educational when I talk to people and just point out to them whether you have a mixed breed dog, which ultimately is what these designer colors are, or a purebred dog, 
it doesn't matter because it's your dream. So you should enjoy your dog. You should get out and, and work with your dog in the field, but also educate themselves so that they understand that we shouldn't breed these dogs so that we keep the Labrador Retriever, Retriever breed strong as opposed to having it dilute with dilutes. So it's, again, it's a fine line to walk and it's something that is, it's a topic that gets very heated on social media and in other circles, which I guess there's not a topic that doesn't get heated on social media these days, but it is also something that we need to talk about and look at so that we help people make informed decisions rather than acting like a schoolyard bully in high school. So I hope that helps. The thing you need to do is, if you don't believe me, go to the club's website. Whether it's Labrador Retrievers or a Spaniel or any other dog, you don't need to take a breeder's word for it. I had someone that, that, that was looking for a Goldador. It doesn't exist. It's a golden in a lab that were mated together. Doesn't mean it's not a nice dog. Doesn't mean it's a hunting dog. But he is convinced, this person was convinced that this was a breed. There are so many breeders that are not breeders. They're breeding certain lines together, certain breeds together to get a quote-unquote designer breed that doesn't actually exist. That we can help people by telling them, no, you shouldn't buy a dog if that's what you're looking for is a breed. You shouldn't buy a dog that someone is telling you is a breed. You should look at the clubs, look at what the breeder should be breeding for, and then stick with that if you're sticking with a uh, if you're sticking with a certain breed that you desire. And again, you have more health issues. You have all sorts of issues that you're going to end up with when you're crossing multiple breeds. So keep that in mind when you're out there. But also, be a good steward to the dog world and hunting community by trying to educate people and help people understand so that we're not putting people in a position where they're immediately turned off when they should actually be educated. I hope that helps. It'll probably be a topic that we talk about here in the future. Feel free to comment on our posts on social media with this podcast. And feel free to send me an email if you have questions, sportingdogtv at gmail.com. If you're going to try to argue that the Silver Lab is a Labrador Retriever and give me a bunch of different websites, it's not going to work. I had that happen multiple times on our different social media sites where people are trying to uh, bully me into believing what their stuff is. We do breed according to breed standard, which is set by the club. But again, if you have questions, please feel free to reach out to me. More than happy to discuss it in a in an adult way that would be productive to try to help educate people. So that would be this part of this show. Next, we are going to touch on a topic of what you should do with a puppy as a breeder from birth all the way to seven weeks. And this was something that was brought up where people were talking about different neural stimulation, holding puppies in certain positions for multiple periods of times. Um, I've seen gunshots. I've seen having them introduced to adult dogs. I've seen all sorts of things. I saw one where someone was putting a sister dog with a female that was having puppies to have her help, like a midwife. Again, we're going to talk about that next in the dog tips after this. Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures and Soggy Acres Retrievers. In our house, my wife hates having the plastic kennels and wire crates. We need them for the dogs because we have times when they need to be put somewhere, but she cannot stand the look. So we talked to DCT Kennels 
and we now have a new partnership with them for a product that is a crate but also a piece of furniture. If you want something that is practical as well as great looking, check out DCT Kennels. Our great fans of the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, we are growing at an astronomical rate and I want to thank you all. I do ask one thing from you. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Please give us a thumbs up, follow us, subscribe to us on whatever other platforms you're on. And the most important thing I can ask, share our podcast with your friends so that we can grow our love for the dogs and dogs in the field and make it so that people are more involved in our sport. Again, thank you so much for being listeners. Take care. Welcome back to the show. This is Sporting Dog Adventures. I am Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers. And now we're going to talk about what you should do when you have a litter born to the week seven where the puppy will go home. Now, first thing I'll say is I know there is a huge portion of uh, the hunting world that read certain books that say that you have to get a dog on day 49. I will tell you that that is the biggest pile of BS I've ever heard. They do not turn into pumpkins. We send our dogs home on the first weekend after they turn seven weeks. If that turns out to be day 49, that's awesome. If it's day 51, it's not like this lab is going to turn into a pumpkin at midnight. You do want to get them home at a certain age, and you do want them to be with their litter mates until a certain age. That age is seven weeks. You want them to be with their litter mates. Usually they're with their mom until about five to six weeks, and then they're weaned. Um, you do pull them from their mom because ultimately when the puppies are trying to get milk, uh, they are grabbing with teeth and mom can get quite vicious at times to get them off of her. Uh, you also end up where the mom is trying to get food for herself because her body is so racked and she needs food uh, that she will protect her food. There are a lot of different issues that can come up when you have puppies. So usually my rule of thumb is we start switching them over at five weeks of age so that they are set and they can uh, start on food and progress from there. Um, as far as having other dogs around a mother that is whelping, I, I saw that on a, a social media post and that was, wow, I can't even believe someone would consider doing that. Um, they were talking about how great it was because this other dog was eating, eating the placentas of puppies uh, that the sister dog was having. Do not have any other dogs present. I do not let any other adult dogs uh, near my litters of pups for several reasons. One, you have uh, disease control. You don't want the, the, the dog from outside to have something that could be spread to your litter. Uh, the other is aggression, which usually that's going to be aggression from the mother toward the other dog because in her mind, in an animal's mind, any dog that is coming near her puppies is going to try to kill them because that's nature. Uh, you want to make sure that you're keeping them separate so that you don't have this stuff happen because it's very dangerous for puppies when you have that outside dog around for several uh, several different reasons uh, that I just noted. Then you get into the neurostimulization. There are different programs out there where people are uh, stimulating the puppies. I will say that I don't think it hurts, but in my opinion on it is that it's almost like you're trying to have the, the, the better light switch. You're trying to say that you're doing something to make these puppies better. Puppies do need to be handled. They do need to be socialized. They do need to be around people. They need to be around their mother. They need care. I also put bird wings in with them. But as far as anything else, I don't do anything else. If you were going to really have a study that showed that having 
some type of a neural stimulation was a benefit to a dog, it would be so difficult to do. You'd have to have hundreds of litters that were that that were bred. You'd have to split those litters on who got the stimulation and who didn't. And then you, in essence, would have to have the litters have the same environment, whether it was household environment or training environment, to, to clearly show that the puppies were bold and better prepared for the world as opposed to a puppy that didn't go through that. Again, not saying that it is something that has to be done or shouldn't be done. I don't think that it is something that would hurt. But as far as saying that it is something puppies need, it is not something I've done with our puppies. And we've now been breeding dogs. Oh, gosh. I got my first dog in 1998. So breeding dogs dogs for two decades and doing it our way, which is just giving the puppies attention, making sure they get proper care, make sure, making sure they're properly vetted. And we've had very happy customers. And the majority of the dogs I get in from training from our different litters every year are all from our litters. I, I, I do get dogs in from other kennels. And again, I, I guess I could, if I wanted, ask if they had these puppies neurostimulations uh, during their litters from, that, from, from the breeders they got. But I cannot see where it would be a huge difference through, I guess, what would be my expert opinion if, if I can be considered an expert with two decades of dog breeding and to have an actual study that would show if it did would be something that you'd have to have on this large scale that really wouldn't be applicable. There are so many things different about household environments puppies go into, whether it would be a single person, whether it would be a family with five kids, whether it would be a family where the puppy is in a crate for eight hours a day because they're at work or one where the parents work from home or a kid is home. There's so many variations that it would really be hard to quantify if these programs did actually make a difference. Uh, the only other one I can think of is I know some kennels will advertise that they shoot around puppies. I don't do that. I personally don't have my dogs around gunfire until they're about six months old in training. I think that there are a lot of things we can try to do early that can have negative results that don't need to be done until the dog is more mature and able to take pressure and able to uh, deal with different things in life. So again, my opinion on it is they need to be handled and socialized by uh, adults, kids. They need to get proper vetting. They need to be with their mother in a safe, secure environment. And then they need to get time with their litter mates until they're seven weeks old prior to uh, having the date set for the puppies to go home. So I hope that helps on that. Next, we're going to talk about helping grow our sport of hunting with dogs in the field on our hunting tip after this. Hey, this is Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I want you to know that we buy all of our trucks at Boucher Automotive. We go to Janesville. They've got a great selection, great staff. If you're looking for a new truck or car, check out our friends at Boucher Automotive in Janesville. Jeff Fuller, again from Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. When you look at hunting, you need to have yourself prepared. Our good friends at Mac Outdoors have reloading supplies as well as great clay target machines to get you prepared so you have more success in the field. Don't get that dirty look from your dog. Check out Mac Outdoors. The last part of the show is not controversial. The last part of the show is more of a call to arms for our hunting community. And that is everyone needs to start taking 
a person or two that has not waterfall hunted or upland hunted out in the field with them. That is the only way our sport's going to grow. I know that we are stuck in a society where we all have leases, we all have private land, we all have spots that we don't want to share because we want to show our trophy pictures on Instagram, on Facebook, on me, we at Parlor and show that we are the ultimate hunter. That is all well and good, but as our sport shrinks, as our sport gets smaller, we are going to be put in a position where we have less of a lobby, there's less money for conservation, and our sport is going to die. Every year, I try to take at least two people out that haven't waterfall hunted before and have them out so they can learn about the sport, but also enjoy it and hopefully get them hooked on it. Now, does that mean that every year that person will go out with us? No, it doesn't. But it's sharing the field with people so that we can help grow our sport. This is something we all need to do. It only takes one day to get someone to the point where they really enjoy something. You can help them outside of hunting. You don't have to take them hunting with you every time or give them a spot in your boat or your blind. But you can teach them to call. And I don't mean competition call. I mean teach them to quack. Teach them a three-note a three note or a five-note. We can teach them the proper way to set their decoys out. We can teach them how to look for hunting land. We don't have to give them our spot. We don't have to give them our boat. We just need to teach them and take them out at least one time in the field so that they can enjoy it so that they can get into it, and so that they can hopefully spread our sport that is contrasting so that it grows. Even if you're not a hunter, there is a benefit to hunting because at least 90% of the money for conservation, that means 90% of the money that has helped bring back and grow wild species has come from hunters. We are the reason that wildlife prospers. We are the reason that it will prosper into the future. We are also the reason and the way that we can grow it and keep it going. Taking your kids out, taking adults out that haven't hunted, taking out kids that maybe are not your child and taking that out hunting, get them involved, get them hooked, get them in the field. That would be about it for this week's show. I think we covered some good topics. Again, if you have a comment you want to send over, please, sportingdogtv at gmail.com. You are more than welcome to also leave a message. There's a way to leave a message through the podcast. And we got our first uh, our first person that has actually followed up and is now sponsoring our podcast, which if you want to uh, help fund our podcast so we can do more every week, there's a way through Anchor app that you can uh, commit to giving us a certain amount of money per week. We are going to bring that up in the next podcast and be a little bit more, I guess, in-depth on it as I look at a few more options to let you know how to help the podcast grow. And even if you can't financially help the podcast, you can share it with your friends. Hit the share button. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a like. Whatever you can do, you will help spread our love of dogs on our podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great week. God bless. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.